Welcome everyone and thank you so much for joining in on the fourth episode of the 2022 Expert Talk series with Rock Culture in collaboration of Seattle Austria, Thriving Thursdays, Third Culture Kids Beyond and Between Borders, where we explore the dynamics of the third culture kids, aspects of the identity and career beyond and between a mental and physical borders. And today we have another special guest. Her name is Annelie van Vick, and she has been called many things, from gypsy, global citizen, third culture kid, to intercultural specialist. She was raised and educated across continents, and she's, as an adult, she honed her understanding of cultures through academic studies in sociology, cultural studies, international relations, as well as a career in the NGO sector, and multinational corporations. And Annalie decided to become a intercultural trainer and speaker when she actually realized that her upbringing as a third culture kid could benefit diverse and internationally facing companies. So thank you very much, Annalie, for being here. It's really impressive about your experience and you know your interest in this multicultural and third culture kid topic. So thank you very much for being here. And as you guys probably, <laughs> and as those who have joined in for the previous uh, series, you probably know that we really focus on the third culture kid topic. And so first of all, for those who are new, what does a third culture kid mean? Well, simply it's somebody who grew up in a country that is different than their parents' country, right? So they have at least two plus countries in their experience. And so my first question to you, Anneli, is would you please give us the pleasure by explaining your third culture kid background? Sure, happy to. Um, as most third culture kids know, uh, where are you from is quite a, a tricky question for us. Um, so I'm actually part Sri Lankan, part English, but I was born in Sweden and uh, we moved around quite a lot. So I've lived in Spain and in Indian Kashmir and Sweden as well, and uh, then did high school in Sri Lanka. Um, and I'm currently living in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And I've been here for five years now, and that's the longest I've chosen to be in one place. So it's a big thing for me. <laughs> Amazing. And uh, what about your parents' background? What about how was that growing up, being a third culture kid? Was it, were you the first generation of a third culture kid? And what was your experience overall? So I think I was kind of in between first and second generation. Um, my dad moved to Sweden when he was in his mid-teens. Uh, and my mom is actually half English, half Sri Lankan. So she also moved when she was younger. But I do think mm. my I have a younger brother. He and I are the yeah, first generation of third culture who moved this much, I think. Right. Understood. Thank you for sharing. So, Annalie, what does being a third culture kid kind of mean to you in terms of how your experience was from childhood to, let's say, teenage years to mm. adulthood? Was there a big difference in that transition? And how did you kind of navigate that journey? Uh, great question. Um, I think my idea of what a third culture kid has really changed. Um, when I was growing up, when I was younger, I wasn't aware of the term. Um, and as a lot of people would probably recognize, if everybody around you is moving every three years or, you know, your parents work for 
companies that move them, it feels like the norm. So uh, I was actually, the first time I went to school in English was when I moved to Sri Lanka and went to an international school. And I think that was the first time that it struck me that, oh, okay, there are people like us from all over the place. Um, and it is a community. And in my teenage years, um, I definitely, I still didn't really know the term third culture kid. It, I, it was introduced to me, yeah, in, in high school, I believe. Um, and I wasn't sure if I counted, so to say, as a third culture kid, um, because a lot of what I'd read, of what I'd read and what I'd seen was mostly white people were third culture kids. Um, and it wasn't so common to be a person of color and a third culture kid, uh, or at mm. least not in my circles, yeah, 15 years ago. Mm. Um, and then I think at university, I probably, that's when I realized how many third culture kids there were. Um, you know, you meet people and you haven't been to the same schools, you haven't lived in the same countries, but you just know, you know, oh, did you do the IB? Did you do, you suddenly have a lot in common. Um, and it's really only as an adult, maybe in the last few years that I've, I've realized that as third culture kids, we have a lot of, yeah, we have a lot of superpowers in some ways. Um, so I think now is the time that I'm really embracing that and actually using it for work. Amazing. Thank you so much for kind of going more into depth about your journey so far. And I have a follow up question. And that is, mm -hmm. you mentioned that before you kind of saw third culture kids come up more with white people. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that you kind of related to as a person of color. What was your experience there? Did you feel like you were in a sense, perhaps the outsider, an outsider third culture kid, like a someone who is not understood, was that another identity where you kind of felt different from white third culture kids versus the mm -hmm. people of color who are third culture kids? Do you think there was a difference for you? And if there is right now even? Mm, I think maybe there was a difference, but I, I couldn't really pinpoint it at the time um, because I went to, as I mentioned, an international school in Sri Lanka and uh, I really did fit in as I, I didn't consider myself Sri Lankan when I first moved there. And I think the fact that I still really identified as mm, Swedish, okay. English. Oh. oh, no. Did the connection drop? I can hear you. Apologies there. <laughs> this is the first time this happened regarding live stream and my Wi-Fi literally just broke down. Hopefully that's fine. Uh, please continue. Apologies for that inconvenience. No problem. Um technology, this is what happens. Um, I think I was saying uh, about being a, a non-white third culture kid. 
um, I actually didn't identify as a person of color till I was much older. So that, uh, which is part of, you know, has been part of why I've had somewhat of identity issues. Um, but I didn't really notice it in school. In my head, third culture kids were expats. That was the kind of connection I'd made in my head. Um, but yeah, so I didn't really feel excluded from that because for me, I, w I was an expat. Um, Sri Lanka only became home to me later in life, actually. Right. Thank you very much. And kind of going into, since we're already discussing about, let's say, the challenges and the conflicts that you had internally about your identity and what that kind of meant to you, what specific other challenges did you have to face due to the fact of growing up multicultural and due mm. to the fact of being specifically a TCK? And how was that different during the different years of your life as well? Sure. Well, um, I think, first of all, it's really important to note that it is a privilege to grow up as a third culture kid. Uh, it is often a very privileged lifestyle. And sometimes because we we tend to, um, we want to acknowledge that privilege, we don't necessarily see the downsides of it. And because everyone around us, that's kind of, yeah, that's how they operate. That's, it, it's the norm. Um, but really, I, I didn't have a sense of where home was until I was kind of in my 20s. And now having done some research about third culture kids, that's quite common. Um, because we move around a lot, uh, as adults, we can tend to have some kind of yeah, not really sure where we belong. And that has been something I've really been been questioning probably all through my 20s. And um, I think the phrase, we belong everywhere and nowhere uh, is quite oftenly quoted. And um, for a long time, I focused on the nowhere. And I felt, oh, I'm not quite Sri Lankan, I'm not quite I'm not Swedish, I'm not English, what am I? And now, uh, my early 30s, I really feel like I'm embracing that, okay, we belong everywhere. And uh, that's actually what, yeah, what has led me to, to work in this field as well. And I have to follow up on one of the things that you mentioned, which is having to deal with not feeling like you're anywhere, feeling like mm -hmm. you were nowhere during kind of your 20s, hmm. how, did, how did you manage to kind of go through that? And did you have to kind of hit like a realization, like I can only really accept myself to move on? Or was there a specific other person or a book or what kind of helped you get out of that sense of not belonging? Yeah, I think that, um... It's a question with multiple answers, really. Uh, I I chose uh, after university, I studied in England, um, and I chose to go back and work in Sri Lanka for a few years because I didn't feel very connected with the country, even though I'd lived there as, uh, yeah, basically in an international school bubble. So I kind of went back at 22 and... Um, 
I worked in a Sri Lankan organization, and that is the first time I'd actually met a lot of people who were born and raised in Sri Lanka, who had, you know, who were from there. And that's also when I started learning uh, one of the local languages, uh, Sinhalese. And uh, we use a Sanskrit alphabet. So it was the first time as well at 22, I could see these pictures, which are very beautiful, change into letters. And I think it was that, that realization that, okay, this is somewhere where I do have roots, um, that I actually discovered through meeting other people. They would say, oh, you know, I know your grandfather, or, oh, what school did your dad go to? And, oh, my dad too. And those kind of connections, which in an international school environment, you don't find that much. Um, so that was the first sign, I think, that I thought, okay, maybe this is home. But it was still, um, it was amazing to be there. And I spent a couple of years and I saw the country and then I decided that uh, I got itchy feet, like a lot of us third culture kids. And I left to do my master's in Wales. And it was while I was in Wales, actually, that I real people say, oh, where is home? And that was the first time I realized home is Sri Lanka for me. Um, and I actually chose to move back again after my master's uh, because it was a place that I felt connected to. Um, and not my family actually weren't living there for much of the time when I was going back. So I think that was really where it started to feel like, okay, maybe I do belong somewhere, but in Sri Lanka, I never belonged fully, I thought. Um, I was relatively westernized uh, and, you know, I speak the language like a toddler. Um, I don't speak fluently at all, but I can make myself understood. And then, um, yeah, then when I moved to the Netherlands, that's when I really knew that, you know, for me, Sri Lanka is home. Um, but I've started to realize it is a home, not my only home. And you asked about the identity issues and things like that. That is, that's definitely something I've worked on more in the last few years. Um, also with the help of professionals, uh, I've worked with a therapist as well, um, who specializes in transcultural therapy, which I didn't know it was a, a field of therapy, which is quite interesting. Um, but I would say it was the turning point, you could say, was two years ago for me um, when I experienced uh, a burnout. And I actually didn't recognize any of the signs. I didn't know what a burnout was. Um, and for those of you who are outside Western Europe, it is, at least in the Netherlands, it's a condition that um, a doctor diagnoses you as, as somebody with a burnout. And I actually ended up being off work for almost a year. And it was in that year that I really started to look at, okay, does my identity and who I am match with what I'm doing? So I think that was probably the event, which, uh, yeah, made me rethink a lot of things. Thank you so much for 
you know, being so generous with your experience and sharing about that and the stories behind it. There's a comment right now which uh, which says, interesting insight about connecting to the roots. I knew your grandfather, family history and stories add to the dimension of identity. Thank you. You know, uh, thank you very much. It's also from the audience side, I guess, from your story sharing. And on to the connection of you mentioning regarding you realizing that you kind of fell out of place regarding what you were working on mm. and kind of that burnout signaling that, hey, maybe there's a better job or better work or better experience that suits my identity. That kind of follows my question about how did your experience kind of lead your trajectory of your career so far? So, you know, looking at your career journey, you worked as a sustainability executive, you worked in communications, mm -hmm. you worked in a bank as a DNI manager, and then you're also now then a freelance interculturalist. So how how did that kind of progress? Uh, from when on did you do you feel like it's you're 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 living the most truest part of who you should be in terms of mm -hmm. your connection to your work? Another great question. Um, I think as as you're mentioning what my my career history or what I've done, it is very varied. Um, I I have switched fields a few times, and actually the red thread uh, which runs all the way through is that I was always bridging cultures. So whether I was working at um, a foreign policy think tank or uh, even within the bank, I was primarily working with our international network. Whatever the field, it seemed to be that the role I ended up playing was to be a kind of a bridge or someone who was comfortable in more than one cultures and I could see other perspectives. Um, so even in, yeah, relatively unrelated fields, you would think like finance um, or indeed in communications, that was the thing that kind of seemed to run through. Um, and it was only when I was working in the financial institution that I realized that actually a lot of the skills that I have and a lot of third culture kids have are things that people want to learn about. Um, the idea that intercultural awareness was something that you could train people on genuinely didn't occur to me till I was 30. Um, because for me, it had always been the norm. People know, you know, you adjust your perspective, you change who you are, you know, a lot of us are chameleons. Um, but that is not necessarily the case for people who haven't been raised uh, as third culture kids. And that's actually what led me, uh, that realization two years ago, to start my own company um, as a as a trainer, because uh, yeah, I, I didn't know. Now, of course, I see there are hundreds of trainers, intercultural specialists, and it's a field, but I didn't know before then. And actually, being an intercultural trainer is like the dream job for a third culture kid because it feels so natural to us. I think. And can you actually comment on? kind of your career as an intercultural specialist, what does that entail? 
for those also third culture kids out there who might be interested and who might think this really sounds like something that is really related to my experience and my background, how would you describe your job as an intercultural specialist? What does that kind of entail? Sure. So I think um, it's worth noting that I've only been freelance now for coming up to seven months. So uh, I'm still learning what uh, an intercultural specialist does. But what I primarily focus on is working with um, inter intercultural and multicultural teams, uh, usually in the corporate world, sometimes in academia as well. But basically, um, what we look at is, okay, we are making teams more diverse, which is great. But then how do we make sure these diverse teams work well together? And that is where an intercultural trainer can come in um, or consultant to say, look, let's have a look and see what are the different cultures? What perspectives does that bring? And do we have a team culture? Um, because sometimes I think there is a tendency to, to believe that cultural differences have got less because we have got more globalized. Um, almost everybody works in an intercultural environment or they even work you know, remotely with people on the other side of the world. But actually those cultural differences are still there. So the role of an intercultural trainer is to kind of go through, there are many models on cultural dimensions and things like that, but the basic essence is to show people that Everyone has a different perspective, and it's the combination of those perspectives that can really harness the joy of diversity. Um, but if you have a bunch of different perspectives and people aren't discussing it because maybe they feel they don't want to insult someone or is that culturally okay, then, yeah, then it can, it can be quite annoying. <laughs> so that is what I do. I, I work with teams. Um, also some leadership training as well for leaders who work for, uh, for or in multinational companies um, because being a good leader is very different uh, depending on where you're located in the world or it can be different and uh, yeah it's that's essentially what it is um, in a nutshell. Thank you so much Annalie. And by the way, just also to the audience who is here watching, feel free to also pop in questions in the comments for Annalie. Uh, feel free to ask her questions about her career, her experience. I think she'll be very happy to also guide and answer you guys on that. And my next question is, you know, as third culture kids, as you probably also kind of mentioned in your experience so far, it has been a bit difficult, let's say, transitioning and understanding where you want to be and what kind of work you want to do due to the fact that we're so mobile and so global and it's hard for us to kind of find our roots and mm. our values even though sometimes it's very much apparent for the ones who aren't third culture kids and they're the ones who tell us you're so privileged right and so how do you kind of view the pattern of third culture kids themselves kind of undervaluing their qualities their skills particularly in the direction of their career trajectory hmm. yeah that's an interesting question because i've mostly um 
now as an adult, I don't work with so many third culture kids uh, or, or I didn't in the corporate world. But I think it, it can happen with any group. You know, what you grow up feeling is normal. You don't realize you are special because you have those skills. So I think as third culture kids um, or as third culture adults, we grow up adapting to places, to people, to environments. We're usually very quick at kind of assessing the room, who is there, uh, you know, what version of ourselves are we going to be? And I think that is something for me personally, I got quite good at changing not who I was, but how I presented. So in Sri Lanka, I'm different for how I am in England, how I'm in, you know, Spain, wherever it was. And I think that it's a pro and it's a con. So it's good that we are able to adapt. But what I've learned um, over the last couple of years is you need to have a base. And that base doesn't need to be a physical place. Because um, often we don't have one physical place that we are from. Uh, my parents live in different countries than I do. You know, my brother is somewhere else. And it's really finding a sense of a sense of belonging that isn't location bound. And that that's quite a difficult thing. Um, it's something I, I haven't solved myself, but I'm definitely realizing that I had a tendency as a third culture kid to, to want to move, you know, when things got a bit difficult or I thought, oh, I, I want more adventure. I move countries. And that was normal to me. Um, and I know a lot of people who were raised as third culture kids tend to move a lot as adults. And it was actually during the, the, the lockdown, the COVID pandemic that I was forced in a way to stay in one place, um, like a lot of the world was. And that really made me, it forced me to examine, you know, is it the place that you're moving away from or is it something internal? And, you know, now I haven't been back to Sri Lanka for two and over two years. That's the longest I've ever been away. And I miss the country, I want to go back. But also, I think I have found a sense of belonging here, where I am. Uh, at the moment, that's Amsterdam. But maybe it also connects to, I found belonging in my work. Um, so I feel less need to, uh, yeah, to move. I see a great question coming in. Yes. Uh, so the question is, how do you balance professional spaces between being diverse and culturally aware versus being tokenized? Yeah, this is a excellent question. It's something that um, within the diversity and inclusion space and yeah, in general, uh, it's a fine line between representing, um, for example, in my case, uh, people of color and being tokenized. Um, and sometimes what I've realized is tokenism comes first and it shouldn't necessarily, um, but we see, you know, in university brochures or, you know, for your company photo days, suddenly the people of color or from different backgrounds are the ones who are being asked to, yeah, to be in the pictures. Um, 
And the question is, how do you balance it? I think for me, the first step was to kind of accept, okay, I will be tokenized sometimes, but that doesn't make it right. But at least I'm aware of it. And I can also choose when I don't want to be. So now for my work, if if they would like someone on a panel who is of color and they choose me because of that, I will go, I'll attend it, but I will also make it very clear that I'm here because of my skills and my background and my knowledge. And I happen to be, a, you know, fit the diversity box. Um, so yeah, I, there is no easy solution to what is the balance, but for me, it's awareness and also being able to talk about it. Um, I think having spaces like like you have created with raw culture, it's it's amazing for third culture kids to to kind of unite and share stories in that way because we have very similar stories just going on in all different parts of the world. Um, and our childhood obviously affects our adulthood and uh, yeah, and it affects our working place as well. Thank you, Annalie. And there's also another question in the comments as well. And that is, among mm -hmm. my friends or a group of people, I always try to deny my background to fit in because I was afraid to be an outsider to them. What do you recommend young TCKs who are experiencing such things? And following up to her comment, she said, to overcome the fear of being an outsider and embracing your background. That's something I can really relate to. Um, I remember when I was growing up, I didn't want to be so different. You know, I wanted to be able to say, oh, I'm from Sweden or I'm from Sri Lanka or I this this whole mix of identities. It, like you said, it sometimes made me feel like an outsider. And it was actually my mom who said to me, you know, being different is a good thing. It's great. It's that is your superpower. But I didn't see that growing up. Um, I really didn't see it, I think, until I went to university. And then suddenly I wasn't surrounded by everyone who ha who'd had a diverse background. And I realized what a benefit it was. Um, so Zelina, I, I don't know your situation at the moment, but it does change. So actually I was really scared of being an outsider and I didn't embrace my background. And now at 32, I've started my own company because of my background. And it's not an easy road, I've uh, I've got to say, but it is, often you think that people are going to react differently than they do. You know, you, you said you tried to deny your background to fit in. People are probably very interested in your background. Um, sometimes interest can come along, come across, you know, oh, where are you really from? I think we all know that question. Um, but yeah, maybe just knowing that it does change over time and it is something that yeah, a lot a lot of us do go through. Um, but yeah, I can quite confidently say it is a superpower to have the kind of background that makes you an outsider because it also makes you stand out, which is pretty special. I love that. Thank you so much. Uh, I think really you're trying to kind of support third culture kids in their, let's say, 
confidence in that even though sometimes in different aspects we may be very different, that is something very unique and that is our strength and we should highlight it even when people are like, you know, you're different. Where are you from? I don't understand, you know? So thank you very much for validifying and kind of commenting on that. Uh, and also Zelina said, thank you so much. And the next question is, so as this project series about is about intercultural, intergenerational exchange, on the last episode, we had someone from an older generation and he is David Zanford and he was an intercultural, senior intercultural trainer, focusing primarily on in US and India. Mm. And he wants to ask you, how interested are you in connecting with those from different cultures and how important is that? And considering the situation of Ukraine now and what we know as TCKs, what can we do with our knowledge of how people connect from different cultures in a way that prevents war and that prevents aggression? So those are mm. two different, and there's a lot of different questions inside of that. Uh, also a heavy topic, but mm. I think it's very important that we do kind of discuss how we as third culture kids can stand during this very difficult time. Sure. Um, so maybe I'll address that question from David in two parts. Yeah. So maybe the first part, um, how interested are you in connecting uh, with those from different cultures? Yeah, very interested. Um, so much so that I've made it, I've made it my work. And for me, if if I can be working in a room with people and they suddenly see connections, like oh, you know, it's not that you're rude; it's just that you have a very uh, direct communication style, or you know, you're not disrespecting me by showing up late you just have a different uh, perception of time. So for me, connecting for people from different cultures is, it's my life as well socially. My friends are from all over the world, um, but I've also made it my profession to connect people from different cultures. And uh, I think, yeah, I would be biased, but I think it's a vital thing, um, especially as we are becoming more globalized. Uh, we, we mostly live in intercultural environments and maybe worth just saying something uh, on I use intercultural not multicultural um, and I use that on purpose uh, because in multicultural environments there doesn't necessarily have to be interaction you know so you could have a multicultural city and you have pockets of different cultures but they don't interact um, and for me, the joy of cultures is when they interact. So that's why I choose to use uh, and work interculturally. And let me see, the second part of the question, um, considering the situation with Ukraine now, uh, what can we do with our knowledge um, as TCKs? I think, again, um, perspective is very important. Uh, as TCKs, unfortunately, a lot of we know the kind of suffering that exists in the world. Sometimes we've seen it. Um, I grew up, uh, Sri Lanka had a 29-year civil war. Um, I grew up largely sheltered from it in Colombo. We didn't, it didn't affect our day-to-day -day lives, we thought. In hindsight, you know, there were uh, army checkpoints everywhere. We had 
you know, there were bomb threats, but that was kind of part of life. Um, but the question is then, yeah, considering the situation in Ukraine, I think what we need to realize is it's terrible what's happening. Um, also, I think I focus a lot on how the media is presenting the situation at the moment. Um, as third culture kids, we are usually quite aware of media bias and perception and things like that. So uh, I actually did a panel recently on the empathy gap and why in Western Europe at the moment, um, it can sometimes feel like what's happening in Ukraine is the only war that's going on. Sadly, it's not. Um, and on the same day that the war in Ukraine started, there were bombings all over the world. And that doesn't um, invalidate at all what's happening. Uh, it's terrible everywhere. But I do think as third culture kids, we need to be the ones who who can bring this perspective and say, look, you know, it's terrible on a global scale, it is. Um, but it is connecting cultures that ultimately, um, yeah, very, very long-term could solve a lot of conflicts. Uh, a lot of conflicts are culturally based or religious or other reasons. But I think what we know as TCKs is all perspectives matter. And um, I'm not, I won't comment politically on the situation in Ukraine at the moment, uh, as there are others much more qualified. But I will say as someone who studied international relations, I find it, I find it fascinating how we can see how cultures interact on a macro level, governments interact. Um, but yeah, as individuals, I think keep perspective and also usually TCKs are very good at empathizing. Um, it's a skill that I've seen in a lot of TCKs. Other people have it too. But uh, yeah, I think, thank you, David, for that difficult question, um, but a very important one. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, I think it's, as third culture kids, really about utilizing the different perspectives and standpoints that we were given and that many actually don't have and being able to, in one body, in one entity, in a way, be able to understand and put ourselves in those situations when others most likely only see one side of that wall, for example. So as you mentioned, I think as third culture kids, we could really utilize our advantage of being intercultural, of interacting and being able to interact in ways that people understand who are different and kind of create cross understanding on different issues and events. And now the next question is, what is one question, Annalie, that you would have towards someone who is from a, a younger generation? Yes. TCK, why? Uh, yeah. So I think my question to them would be, how do you feel or do you feel that growing up as a third culture kid has, has changed the way you look at the world? And how? I'd be really interested to know. Thank you for the question. The next 
guest will surely answer that. And I'm very happy and excited to hear what she or he will have to say. And as we are slowly wrapping up today's interview, uh, I would also kind of want to give you the space to share about your work and where people can connect you with, uh, your website, your personal contact, if you would like to share, and how people can reach more and listen to your work. Sure, thank you for that opportunity. Um, I think for me, LinkedIn is probably the best way uh, to connect, and you're kindly also sharing uh, my LinkedIn. Um, as I mentioned, I do trainings uh, with with companies, with corporates, with in the education sector, but I'm also very passionate about um, speaking about things like mental health and culture, um, third culture kids, uh, and also just our experiences of belonging and inclusion. So if there are people out there who are working for organizations where you think, oh, it could be useful to have someone speak, or I work in a really intercultural team, you know, feel free to get in touch. And also, I love connecting with, with people in general. Um, I like people. So I'm also happy to, to just have a virtual coffee if you want to share your story. Um, so do reach out. Amazing. And also, you're here to represent CETAR Europa and the Malta Congress. Can you also speak more about that? Yes, sure. So um, for those of you who maybe you're not so aware of uh, CETAR, this, we are a society um, for intercultural educators and trainers. And there is a really exciting conference coming up. I've never actually attended one of the conferences in person. And it's being held in Malta this year. Um, I will actually be speaking at the conference and uh, the whole the theme around the conference is to kind of to question and to look at and to examine interculturalism and, you know, how have those narratives changed? What, yeah, the idea of being intercultural has been around for a long time. Um, how is that field changing? And what I am currently researching and plan to look into is how intercultural are we as interculturalists? Um, and yeah, maybe to very quickly mention, uh, an interculturalist is again, not a term you often find in the dictionary, but you will see a lot of people who have that on LinkedIn. And um, unofficially, it means someone who bridges cultures, who, uh, who is good at kind of bridging the gap. So I think a lot of TCKs would find out, oh, wow, I'm also an interculturalist. Um, but basically what I will be examining is uh, we tend to mostly use Western sources uh, in terms of the academia and the information that we get when we teach um, intercultural awareness. And I'm looking at finding out some of the amazing work that has been done in non-Western contexts. Uh, around intercultural communication and awareness. And I'm kind of bringing that up to people. And most people are really happy to see other perspectives, especially people who teach. And uh, yeah, that'll be one of hundreds of talks in Malta. Um, and you can also join virtually. You don't have to be there in person. Um, and I believe maybe after this, we could share the link to the conference as well. Um, but I think it 
it should be a lot of learning in a few days. Amazing, thank you. And um, also just for those who may be interested in signing up, uh, how would they participate in the Congress? How can they sign up and be a part of this event? Sure, so what we can do, uh, maybe after this, we will, uh, there is a link where you can sign up. You can either choose to uh, attend in person or virtually. Um, a lot of the events are hybrid, so they will both be accessible online and in person. Um, also, some are exclusively for people attending online. And uh, we will. what we'll do is we'll share the, the program of, of the Congress for those who are interested. And uh, yeah, also feel free to reach out to myself. I can put you in touch with um, other people organizing if you do have any further questions. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be a great gathering of some very intercultural people. Amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, it was really a pleasure having you here and listening to your extensive and broad input and insights. Thank you for your time and wish to see you next time and to connect more over this intercultural topics. Uh, have a good day and talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Anneli. Thank you very much. Thank you for having bye me. Bye. And bye.